waste has been seen as something that should be thrown away, something that should be regarded as basically it doesn't have any value, right? But we're trying to see how we can change that narrative around, especially in view of the secular economy. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast, an environmental podcast with me, Andrea Fox, your host. This is a podcast using the gateway issue of plastic to talk about all things related to climate change and how we might affect them because, I don't know guys, I think the clue to fixing climate change, it might be you and me as well and all of us. If you missed last week's episode, I spoke to former number one tennis player Johanna Conta about Abel and Cole's new system of recycling that scrunchy, difficult to recycle, uh, crunchy plastic from your doorstep. You can go back and listen to that episode if that sounds like it's up your street. We are now into July, so I should say happy plastic free July or plastic-free life. That's what I want to get to. Um, I'm going to be talking to two young activists who are totally engaged in solving the plastic waste issue on today's episode. And if this is the first time you're listening, we've also got an eco-life hack at the end. And today's one only requires the internet. Today's two guests are both Arctic Angels. This is a youth-led intergenerational action network which is committed to protecting our global commons from the Arctic to the Antarctic. Here's my first guest. I'm Sharona. I'm the founder of Tuesdays for Trash, which is a global environmental movement encouraging everyone around the world to dedicate at least one day a week for the planet by picking up trash. Sharona is Nigerian-Israeli who speaks to me from Tel Aviv. Now, she basically saw the problem, wanted to help change habits and put pressure on those big producers like Nestle and Cola, which is why she set up Trash for Tuesdays. There's now 11 chapters in 30 countries. £22,000 of trash has been collected in two years. And Sharona is also a chairwoman of Our Streets PDX, which is a non-profit helping homeless communities in Oregon in the US. And a marketing manager of the Climate tech startup Albo Climate, which is super interesting. It's using AI technology to map and monitor carbon sequestration. I think I said that right. And to fund projects around the world actively removing carbon from the atmosphere. I know. Did someone say amazing CV? And here is my second guest today. So my name is Oluwashi Moejo, and I'm very passionate about solving the issues of plastic pollution and its intersection with climate change and how that generally affects nature and communities, vulnerable communities across the world, especially here in Africa. You will recognise her voice from the start of this podcast. Now, most of Oluwashe's, also known as Shay's, work is around educating children to help them become problem solvers themselves, empowering them to make change, bring about solutions in their communities. Currently, Eurocycle Initiative Africa has recently helped six young people across seven states in Nigeria, where she's based, to solve the plastic issue in their community. Now, this non-profit organisation committed to advancing the circular economy, environmental sustainability and climate action across Africa was set up by Shei when she was 17, four years ago. Uh, she's currently also a National Geographic Young Explorer and has her own podcast, The Diary of a Changemaker. Here is the full interview now on Sharona and Shay's projects, hopes and challenges on the Age of Plastic podcast. I wondered what it was that sparked for both of you to get involved with, you know, Trash for Tuesdays, with You Recycle Initiative Africa. Sharona, what was it for you that made you realise, like, I have to do something? 
So I think my wake-up call as an activist was uh, seeing one of Greta Thunberg's speeches to the UN in 2018, because at the time I was studying accounting, um, and so numbers were really important to me, and she was saying a lot of numbers uh, that were really scary, um, and I kept wondering to myself, like, is this real? Because no one else is talking about it. Um, and so I was doing my own research and really finding not only was this real, but it was really scary. Um, and it was uh, time sensitive. And like I said, like no one was talking about it. Um, so yeah. I felt really like called not only to act on my own, but to encourage people around me to act as well, because um, I didn't want to look back and wish I'd done more. Uh, and so I very quickly like 180 from my accounting degree to um, pursuing activism and starting Tuesdays for Trash during the pandemic because uh, I didn't see the value in like sitting at a desk crunching numbers all day for like companies and businesses that wouldn't matter um, at the end of the day if we didn't have a planet. Uh, and so before that, though, even like growing up in Nigeria, I think sustainability and being an environmental activist was innate in myself because of the lifestyle that I lived there. I think Shay can agree that like in Nigeria, resources are limited. And so sustainability is a lifestyle simply for survival. Um, and so innately, like I always felt very connected to the environment and my community um, and was like sustainable and reusing things just because of habit. Uh, and that played very well into my activism today. And what was the reaction of like friends and peers when you started Trash for Tuesdays? Um, it was actually my friends and peers who were really pushing me to do it. I, I couldn't really understand why at the time because I was like um, one of my bosses at the time. I was interning uh, with a company in Portland and he kept saying to me that I was the Greta of Portland and like he expected big things of me and like all these things and I was like whoa slow your roll like I'm not in it to start a movement like I'm just doing my part I was just like using reusable utensils at the time um but now like I look back and I'm really thankful that he did because uh I sort of did become the Greta of like Portland I um really stepped into that role because because of that encouragement because people around me believe me um and were very quick to support in everything and Shay, what was it for you? What was the sort of like light bulb moment? I mean, you were so young at 17 to be getting involved in that, so young. Okay, so I think it's generally um, the realities and the stories and what I was seeing every single day when I'm going either to school or when I'm like moving around. So basically here in Nigeria, we have these issues with like dumps of waste and our waste management systems are actually very week right so um it was beyond as at when i started it was more like i just wanted to see how i can solve this issue on a um basic level it wasn't just really about how it was interconnected with several other things but more of like what i was seeing as my realities right and as i delved mm -hmm. deeper into the problem i began to understand the injustice that is being perpetrated especially to vulnerable communities right so a lot of vulnerable communities have no other option but to to live close to dumps, to live close to unhealthy places. And no one, like over time, I have been able to do like very minimal research across a good number of vulnerable communities. And I, when I visit there, I'm just really concerned about how communities that once used to thrive a lot on fishing as their source of income and livelihoods and could sustain themselves through the incomes from that are now battling seriously the issue of plastic pollution, reducing their catch, and not being beyond that, reducing the quality of food, like the quality of things they are even trying to sell and all of that. And also how the, both the aesthetic view and just the health view of their communities mm. are now really 
on the mind over time and then no one is really doing anything about it and the truth is that plastic doesn't go anywhere right so and over time i was able to understand like the circle of plastic from production to disposal to its never endingness and how no one is really like want like not necessarily no one but like companies have refused especially in developing countries to take to become more accountable and do what they ought to do to shut up the tap, right? And solve this issue more critically or better still render support and help to um, vulnerable communities. So they're more like more likely wanting to look very good in the media, but not necessarily wanting to do what they ought to do. And, it's, and we, can't, we can't solve this problem from a, from a place of lack of awareness, lack of from ignorance, right? And that was where I saw, that's how I saw that I could engage in the space by seeing how I can inspire more youths to start from themselves to begin to reduce their plastic footprints and then from beyond that become more informed about how this issue is very very intersectional and very very diverse mm -hmm. and begin to see how they can position themselves better to critically solve this problem like by demanding for change by speaking up for change by creating for change and that was how i began to envelope so basically just a young a young i'm still young <laughs> a 17 year old or 16 that was just really concerned about like the fact that no one was really doing anything especially in regards to young people a lot was being done was being done towards solving waste management in, in companies in those kind of corporate framework but not, not necessarily in schools and from the aspect of education yeah and you touch on sort of big companies not playing their part what has been like the biggest obstacle for you both like what's been the most difficult thing you've had to overcome I think, um, shame, I agree that media attention in terms of like people of color in this movement is very minimal. Um, like we've seen how activists like Vanessa, um, like Nakata, she also like is a very big leader in her community um, and on the world stage. And yet even on the world stage, every time she's with Greta, like she's overshadowed by Greta. Um, yeah. And it's just really unfortunate because uh, indigenous communities and BIPOC communities have been notoriously leaders in terms of climate justice working on this front in frontline communities where it's needed the most and where the work is the hardest and yet it's the more privileged like white activists that get the most attention um and like for me i've been doing uh tuesdays for trash for two years now we've accomplished a lot in such a short amount of time and yet like the media attention that we get and the recognition we get is very minimal but like i i'm not phased by it because i'm not doing it for the media attention i'm doing it because actively like we need to solve this problem and i can't imagine a future where like waste isn't addressed because most likely we won't have a future at that point like if our oceans are filled with plastic there's no more food to be caught like the communities are destroyed because of this pollution um and so i think a huge challenge has been like being able to recognize that like the media is not on our side and doesn't want to be on our side at least with the system that we have right now um and talking about that problem and continuing to do the work simply because it's important work that needs to be done yeah yeah, completely. And I think, um, I, I feel like there's such, you, so, so many young people your age completely connected to the climate movement. And whether it's an age thing or it's just certain people aren't connected to it, why do you think there is still a disconnect for some people with engaging and helping with the climate movement? So I think it's just basically, um, as where an awareness comes to play, right, a lot of people don't really know about how large, large scale of this issue, right? And how mm. pervasive it can be, right? Ranging from um from our homes to like various other kinds of 
systems that it interacts with. So I think that the, basic, the disconnect is firstly, there are a lot of stereotypes around how young people engage with issues, right? Perhaps, perhaps, this might be an, an assumption, perhaps the older generation feels that it's just a hobby, right, that we're doing to just feed in our time, or perhaps they feel that it's just something that we're just trying to use to build, maybe just to, um, just basically to fill in time. But I think what 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 can just help to heal that um or to to mend that kind of broken um or that disconnect between um both generations is knowledge basically and awareness. How we can keep on sharing stories, right, of these issues and stories of how what inspired us to do what we're doing, right? The why behind all of this and how that can, I think there's a, I think there's something powerful about our whys. If you notice, why do we connect with great people like let's say um, Steve Jobs and all of these great people that um, maybe, I don't know who else to use, probably Barack Obama or someone. Basically all these great people that have done great things is mostly about their stories, about their whys, how they came to be and all of that. So like, if we can keep on sharing more about our whys as young people, right? Perhaps the lens, older people can see beyond the lens of, oh, these are just people trying to have fun or trying to trying to just make a hobby out of this, but rather they have devoted a significant part of their life to solving this. I am turning 21 next week. And ever since I was 16, I have been working on this issue. And it's like, I didn't, like, I spent my, I wasn't particularly the teenager that was probably very so, like, so socially um, active, but I was basically just, I was mostly a serious-minded student for most of my years and greatly around this issue, right? Devoting most of my nights, my days to solving this problem. So it's beyond a hobby for me. And I think that is something that we have to try to make the older generation to understand <clears throat> and also um, to see themselves also as active um, players in supporting us and um, pushing us and inspiring us to do more. There's definitely a lot of like arguing, isn't there? And um, I think actually bringing people along is probably what we need to be doing. Is that, would you say that's right, Sharona? Absolutely. And like, Shay, I couldn't have said it better. Um, I think honestly, like we sacrificed so much of our lives to this cause already. I'm, I've only been doing this for two years and Shay has been an activist in this circle for four years. Um, and that's a lot of time wasted. Um, not wasted in the sense that like what we're doing isn't important, but wasted in the sense that like, these are the years of our lives that we should be like out having fun like enjoying life exploring traveling and yet here we are having to um be leaders at such a young age of a of a global problem that is so intimidating and so traumatic to learn and um talk about these issues constantly on a daily basis um and i don't know if shay would agree but like i am tired of talking about the climate crisis i really yeah. like <laughs> i'm tired of it. i'm exhausted it's not something that i actively choose or like want to do but i feel forced and guilty if i don't because i'm in such a position of privilege whereas there are people who this is an everyday issue for them they don't have a choice not to talk about it and it's life or death if they don't do anything or like um advocate on behalf of their community so um that's why i do it because i feel honestly like guilty and like selfish if i don't and it is such a shame like you say it's such a lot of time that you could have been enjoying the world if the previous generations had sorted this all out 30 years um, ago yeah yeah exactly as they well knew mm -hmm. um on that point then how do you keep yourselves energized in your activism what is your like anti-burnout <laughs> method 
I think community for me, like I'm really motivated by uh, the other activists in this community and also my community of Tuesdays for Trash around the world. Like um, they're the people that keep me going, knowing that there's other people like me who care and are actively taking action uh, because otherwise I would feel very helpless, very alone um, and very frustrated at the system. Uh, and that's how I started. I started off like really feeling all those emotions until I created the community that we have now um, to help me uh, feel more motivated and driven and like I'm seen and heard in this space because it's very very easy to feel overwhelmed by the crisis especially when we're talking about trash trash is such a large and prevalent issue everywhere around the world um, but it's also beautiful in that sense because it provides an opportunity for people everywhere around the world to do something great answer and Shay what about you how do you uh, how do you keep yourself energized and avoid the activist burnout Okay, so I sometimes find it very difficult to answer this question because mm. personally, I, I, I say I'm still trying to like have this healthy, um, like inter relationship with work and burnout, right? But one thing mm. I try to do is like when it's time for me to work, I try to put in my best foot forward, and when it's time for me to rest, which I'm still trying to learn how to rest, I try to make sure that it also feels like it's productive. It doesn't feel like resting is resting is bad or resting is evil resting is actually very productive so um and also collaboration i'm trying to learn more how to delegate how to work better with my team so it doesn't feel overwhelming and i've also i've noticed like there are some times where i'm stuck on something for months and then i just dedicate it to someone on my team and it gets done in days or weeks and i'm like wow just look at that like why did i just do that from the start right so like um trying to also see how I, how I can also because there's something about to say about legacy how like your legacy is not just about you but about how you raise people through this right so like seeing how I can also create some um, um opportunities for young people to also build their skills and become young leaders especially here in Nigeria towards solving those problems so that for instance empowering young people is one thing that really really energizes me and collaboration basically and trying to understand that rest is very productive yeah, completely. And like you say, that community, so many people listening right now, um, if they're feeling overwhelmed by the climate crisis, if you're listening right now, probably the thing to do is to get out and find a community, right? Yeah. And I was going to ask you as well, like, if you have a piece of advice for the person listening right now, like, what would it be? Um, what can they do to help type? I would say that it's so simple. It can be so simple. Like, um, because everyone I think looks at like people like Greta and other notable activists and they think it's something you have to de dedicate your whole life to and you have to go all in and like you have to be this really intense activist. Yeah. But in reality, it's as simple as just deciding to care in the sense that like when you're walking to work and you see trash, you pick it up or like you're going to a restaurant and um, you order a drink and you ask them not to put a straw on it. Like it starts out very small because this problem is too large to take on like a full force. Mm -hmm. We have to do it step by step. Um, and honestly, it spirals very quickly. Like you start like changing habits and changing your routine very, very quickly. Um, and I would encourage people like to look out for things that 
already fit into their daily lives and ways that they contribute mm-hmm. with skills they already have because um whether you're an artist a musician like you can contribute to this movement in really really powerful ways um and there's organizations around the world that are dedicated to every skill that every person has towards this movement um so it's not about reinventing the wheel coming up with like your own yeah. global movement it's just about getting involved in things that are already happening and realizing that even little actions matter yeah I totally agree with Sharona. I think that's really profound in terms of um. I think one thing I really like about Sharona's um work is how he's really centered on how little actions from the grassroots can inspire change. And one advice I'll give to um anyone that's trying to get started or trying to see what's is just to basically try to see ways you can learn more about the problem. It can it can be as simple as following an activist on Instagram or um learning reading blogs or subscribing to newsletters. This in this knowledge would inspire you to to act from a, from a place of understanding and to understand the reason why you have to keep acting over time, right? And also just start small, basically. See how you can start from your daily lives and how you, how that can flow through. And basically also try to focus on the positive because there's this thing about echo anxiety that is really crippling sometimes, especially for activists. But like try to focus on the positive, how far you've come, how your how your personal story has unraveled over time and try to draw strength from there. Yeah. And listening to podcasts like, yeah. Yeah, like this one. <laughs> this one, yes. <laughs> A short interlude in the podcast now to remind you that we can't all do this alone. If we want to divest from fossil fuels like plastic, we need everyone and all companies on board. So if you want to find out what the companies you use are up to when it comes to sustainability, but you don't know where to start, there's a handy form that you can download and use to email to any company. You'll find it on my website, iamandreafox.co.uk. Back to today's episode. So that that's kind of like the personal thing. I wanted to ask you as well, if you could click your fingers and change something that's happening at a business or government level about climate, the climate emergency, plastic waste, like what would be your number one? What are you first doing your finger click and changing immediately, if you could? I think the time delay, like how we're seeing politicians are viewing the climate crisis as a long-term issue, when in reality, we have to be acting like very short-term in an emergency-like state. Because um, as we saw with COVID, it's very easy for governments when they decide something is an emergency to flip everything around and like put all resources resources and community actions towards that issue. Um, And we haven't seen that happen with the climate crisis yet, which for me is very surprising with the amount of extreme weather events we're seeing all the scientific data like the people that are dying climate refugees migrating like it's Mm -hmm. very apparent all over the world and yet our politicians are focused on re-elections and um exactly the fossil fuel (laughs) industries that are funding them it makes no rational sense and yet we're still Mm -hmm. seeing it happen and so if i could like snap my fingers and have things change it would be world leaders treating the climate crisis as the emergency it is Mm -hmm. so if I could snap my fingers, um, building on what Sharona has said, I'll just talk about like vulnerable coastal communities, right? So over time, I have noticed like visiting coastal communities in a more localized um, context. If I could snap my fingers right now, I think um, having more pol- having more policies that make producers, plastic producers, more accountable, right? Very stringent policies that move beyond the profit that they bring to the economy, but more about the how they can like in terms of lives how their how their products their byproducts affect lives and how we can restore 
communities and ecosystems that have been devastated by mm. such pollution, right? So if I could sum my fingers, basically, to try and see how we can get more support and restoration to coastal communities, vulnerable communities affected by the plastic pollution and climate crisis. Yeah, some brilliant answers there. Thank you so much. Um, the whole Arctic Angel Group that you're part of, this is a youth-led intergenerational action network. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me a little bit about that and what it means for you both to be part of that. I think I love the concept of the Arctic Angel Network. Like it's trying to it's trying to mend that that disconnect between both generations and like the fact of the whole intergenerational wisdom that, that can be harnessed both from between the young person to the old person and the old person to the young person and how like we have this kind of collaboration that can drive meaningful change. So through the network, I've been able to understand and see how things like microplastics can affect the attic and ultimately affect ecosystems, right? That inherently makes our planet more balanced and makes us be able to live on the planet, make our, pla- make our planet livable basically. Um, and also how we can harness collaboration across generations to basically drive change. So I'm grateful to be in a network and I'm grateful to be able to like also be in the army of very resilient women that wake up each day with more hope and with more inspiration to do more for the planet. I completely agree as well with everything that Shay just said. And um, for me, like, I think it's important to be a part of this network, not only for the camaraderie and like the community that it's created, um, but also because of the topic. I think that the Arctic often gets left out of conversation simply because it feels so distant to us. Um, It's not like we're all like in Antarctica or like walking these ice sheets, like seeing like the devastation happening. Um, And really it is devastation. Like um, when we talk about sea ice melt, but also about the trash that's ending up in the Arctic, uh, 48,000 tons, like tons of microplastic ends up in the Arctic every year. Um, And it's not only detrimental because of like the changes it creates in the ecosystem, but it also affects the ice albedo effect, um, which means that like it's darker than the ice. And so it speeds up the warming of the sea ice, um, which in turn speeds up global warming. And uh, it's very scary. And it's something that we're not addressing nearly as much or as um, influentially as we need to. And so I yeah. think that having a group like the Arctic Angels that can advocate on behalf of this problem is really important and something we should be talking about a lot more. Yeah. Have you been to the Arctic then? Have you been able to? Not yet, no. but I hope to <laughs> one day. Yes. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Birthday trip, maybe, Shay. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> I can't imagine how cold it would be. I, when I yes. got to Scotland last year, it was really very, very cold. Like, So I'm thinking about it. I, I don't know. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I'm going to go for a bit of a weird question now. Now, it's cool. we're called the Age of Plastic Podcast. It's a good material. We're just using it in the wrong way to devastating effect. But is there an item in your life that you are thankful for plastic? You're glad plastic exists. I had a great one from um, the founder of Build Cubic because his dad actually has a plastic stent in his heart. Ah. So I think medicine is often one of the ways where I'm like, if I could snap my fingers, would I make plastic go away completely? And I'm like, I don't know because actually it's got quite quite good uses so is there anything in your life I tend to say my record collection because I'm old school (laughs) (laughs) 
I'll let Shay go first. I think probably my phone. I think most of parts of my phone is made of plastic, but then isn't single-use plastic. So I guess. Yeah, phones a great one. Phones and laptops, but again, yeah. Why aren't they reusing recycled plastic a bit more? Yeah, I don't know what the. <laughs> um, this is. I feel terrible. Um, I was reading this question before the podcast, and like I thought of an answer. <laughs> now, I'm like, this is a terrible answer. Um, but I was thinking, like, honestly, those um little uh plastic bags that you can put little things into um like for the airport or stuff like ziploc bags mm. um not that i like them but they're so convenient especially when you like just want to use something once and throw it away because whenever i go to the airport um and i put them in the bag like everything spills and so i just throw away the bag afterwards um mm. and i could use a reusable one um and i often do like i've been buying some that i'm just using but it's such a pain yeah. to clean i do anyways um yeah but like it does make your life easier <laughs> when you have a single use bag for things yeah yeah that's so true I and my my parents always seem to like bring ziploc bags of stuff around to my house I'm like have you not listened to the podcast <laughs> but you you can wash them out you can reuse them you can yes. get silicone reusable ones so there you go um finally then I just wanted to ask both of you your environmental hero who do you look up to the most in the climate space Mine has changed um, a lot. Not that I don't revere these people as heroes still, but um, from like Greta was obviously like my very first hero in the quote sense, um, just because of the the standard that she set and how prominent she was in the beginning of the movement for me. Um, but now I would say it's people like Wawa Gatharu. Um, she is an environmental activist who started an organization called uh, Black Girl Environmental Activist. And um, I'm just really inspired by the way that she carries herself in the movement, like the way she speaks, the things that she talks about. Um, and this, like, the role that she sets for other people like me and Shay um, as activists in this space because she's a role model for me um, and the opportunities that she gets I'm just incredibly proud that she is in those spaces and showing other people that um, someone like her can be a face in this movement and is doing the work amazing and Shay what about you your environmental hero so I think I previously used to look up to Malati and I still look up to her um, of how she, as a 10-year-old, has has built so many movements and so many um, solutions to solving various issues around plastic pollution and youth across the world. That's on one end. And I think another person I look up to is um, um, Jane, Jane Goodall. So Jane mm -hmm. Goodall is also very, very, someone that you, she has so much um, principles and valuable wisdom that she shares over time right and um from ranging from various issues basically so i think those are two people i look up to i look up to more people actually i find it hard to ask give one answer to the question actually but i think that's what i'll just say for now it's good yeah so many people are like can i give you three and i'm like yeah, <laughs> go for it <laughs> Oh, thank you both so much for joining me today from your different time zones. Good luck uh, with You Recycle Initiative Africa and everything you're working on and the podcast. Good luck with Trash for Tuesdays. And yeah, hopefully maybe we'll meet in real life one day. Give me a holler if you're ever in London. Sounds good. I will be soon, actually. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you should definitely let me know. I'm going to connect on social media. But um, but yeah, thank you both for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast. Perfect. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having thank me. You. 
You can find out more about my brilliant guest today. Just head to the show notes for all of the links and a big thank you to both of them for speaking to me a little while ago. It's taken me a while to get around to editing this interview. Um, Yeah, as discussed on the last podcast, we're a little, we're running late. Um, If you are listening to this on a Tuesday as well, because I'm currently sitting in a sweltering hot box on a very hot Tuesday here in the UK, go and pick up some trash, trash for Tuesdays. Link to that time for a shout out and thank you for getting in touch with yours details to get in touch are in the show notes wherever you're listening right now i'm shouting out michelle i believe who dropped me an email and also quite a few of you anna included um when i was struggling with natural deodorant if you are too and you are also sweaty wherever you're listening to this podcast right now wild deodorant is getting uh, quite a lot of recommendations uh, you can see more on the age of plastic podcast instagram page um That is not today's eco-life hack though, no. This is today's eco-life hack. As I mentioned, it only requires the internet, not even social media. The results from the big plastic count are now in. This was with Greenpeace and former podcast guest, Everyday Plastic, Daniel Webb. The story is currently on BBC Breakfast. It was covered on Good Morning Britain, Sky News, The Guardian, BBC News Independent, BBC Radio and much, much more. If you see that story, read it, share it with your friends. If you've got social media, share it if you see it on social media. I'm going to be sharing it on the Age of Plastic podcast page. Nearly 100,000 households across the UK counted more than 6 million pieces of plastic packaging waste. On the average, each household threw away 66 pieces of plastic in just a week. That is an estimated 3,432 pieces over a year. If that's typical, for every household in the UK across a week, that means that 1.85 billion pieces of plastic packaging a week are thrown away. And over a year, that's 96.6 billion pieces. Ah, There is no way. Food and drink packaging makes up a huge part of this, and the team at Everyday Plastic and Greenpeace who are behind the big plastic count want to use all of this information to put pressure on governments and producers to do more. As you may have already guessed, most of it is food and drink packaging with fruit and veg packaging being the most commonly counted item. Only 12% of all of this plastic that was counted in just one week, 12% is all that is likely to be recycled. So share this story and hopefully, maybe, we might actually see some legally binding targets to eliminating single-use plastic. I know that Everyday Plastic are pushing for a 50% cut in single-use plastic by 2025, with a ban on waste exports by 2025 as well. And where's that deposit scheme that Michael Gove promised in 2018? I've put all the links so you can share as well in the show notes. Until next time, thanks so much again for joining me and listening all the way to the end and this little bit. I'll be back next week. Until then, wash your hands and wash your recycling.